What is up, everyone? I hope you're doing well today. This is Rafael Garcia here with Schwan Humes for episode 209 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. Uh, Schwan, you're back, man. Tell everybody hello after being gone for two weeks. Oh, hey, guys. How are you doing? I, I've been gone for two weeks, but I've been busy. Finally got the three oldest graduated, and time I have either been training kids in basketball or I have been assisting an up-and-coming MMA fighter or assisting some amateur boxers. So it's literally just nonstop, always going. You've also been a part of a pretty big book project, too, man. I just got the book from Chris on, I think, Thursday of last week. Oh, cool. Thank you for supporting. Appreciate that. Yeah, man. It was, it was pretty cool to see your name on that bad boy there. So I uh, look forward to seeing what you had to say. Yeah, he was. Uh, he mentioned it to me in a, you know, like, he actually paid me for it, which is weird because, you know, a lot of MMA work you just do because do you love it. But uh, mm-hmm. it was a great experience, like, uh, you know, something you can mark off a list of things you'd like to do. I mean, I would have never thought I would have ever had anything published on any sort of scale at all. I'm having it professionally published in my name up there. I'm taking my copy, sending it to my mom because she wants to see it. She's She wants she says she'll hold on to it for me. But she just wants to show it to her relative so she can be like, look, that's his name. So, yeah, you ain't getting that back. Yeah, mom, hey, mom and dad are happy. I got no complaints. It's worth it. If they're they're impressed and they're proud of it, more than, more than anything I could have asked for. Yeah, good stuff, man. Congrats on that. Glad to see your name on getting getting some shine. So today we'll be talking about a couple of different topics. We have um, UFC on ESPN 25, which was last Saturday. UFC on Fight Night 190, which is this week. And a couple other news bits between here and there. But before we do... I want to say thank you to everyone who takes the time to support this show. As always, you can find all of our content over at MMARatings.net and or .com. You can hit us up at MMARatings.net on Instagram and Twitter. This podcast, you can check us out on YouTube, MMA Ratings, and you can hit us up at Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and Spotify, where if you want to check out either this show or the Let's Talk Wrestling podcast, which is about 90 episodes in, both of those are found across all those platforms, so please be sure to give us a like and a follow. And uh, anything you anything you feel like sharing, please feel free to share it to all of your friends and family as well. But, Swan, let's go ahead and jump in and talk about some of the things from this past weekend. And the same thing, I, I have pretty much the same stance on both cards. The card from Saturday... Uh, UFC on ESPN 25 and this car coming up where there's not a whole, whole lot to talk about, but there's enough to kind of parse through. We saw Korean Zombie pick up a decision win over Dan Ige. And before we talk about what's next for either man, what did you think about the victory there? How did how did this version of Zombie look at the stage of his career? I mean, he, he looked dominant. It, the main thing with Dan Ige is he's a, he's a hard worker. He's professional always in good shape, always trying to improve. But there's been kind of a cap to his ability and his success. It's been clearly established. And before this fight, I said this was the best chance he'd have of beating an elite guy because clearly the Korean zombie isn't who he used to be. He he looks a little slower, not quite as athletic. I don't think he's as explosive or as accurate. And, and I feel like in certain spots, when Ige hit him, he kind of shots he would have walked through earlier. He kind of took a step back from it and had to think about um, it was still dominant because he's just levels above Ige. There's just certain le- there's a level, and he's about two levels ahead of him technically, two levels ahead of him as far as experience and quality of opposition. 
and he's still probably like a level and a half ahead of him athletically. Uh, there just wasn't very much Dan Ige could do. He had moments because he's well-conditioned, because he's mentally always engaged in a fight, and he's always putting on pressure and he's always fighting back. But th- he could never build any sustained momentum. And uh, to me, if he couldn't beat him at this point, I don't really see how he ever breaks through to be an elite fighter because this was the guy who kind of shown some chinks in the armor as far as his ability to take punishment, his accuracy, his explosiveness. So this was going to be the best bet he had to taking that next step. And once again, he kind of hit that ceiling and – you know, I mean, he's a very, he's a good fighter. I just, I don't know that he'll ever be a great fighter. I'm not sure that he'll ever be anywhere near any, any sort of title contention. This fight gives the Korean Zombie some momentum and it gives him a win. And now he can get back into possibly challenging for a title fight. He just needed to fight. He just needed to win to get his bearings back and get back onto the path of trying to be an elite fighter in the division. Yeah. So let's talk about Zombie first, because he was on, you know, he was bouncing back and forth between some wins and some losses. He, you know, he's fought for the title before and he's trying to get back to that. And he called out Max Holloway, which is a very interesting call out. Do you think that's the right move for him to uh, basically say Holloway doesn't have punching power like he does and that that's the next fight for him? Well, at this point, if you look at it, at this point in his career, given the wars he's been through, win or lose, I mean, at being elite, what has he got? In my opinion, he's got maybe somewhere between one to three years more being as being a truly, truly elite fighter. He's already a little bit in decline. Anything else is just a setback. If he would have like if he would have lost to Dan Ige, that would have set him back two or three fights. He can't mm-hmm. afford to fight somebody at a lesser level because if he beat that guy beats him, it's a huge setback. Max Holloway beats him, always considered the second best guy in the division at at worst. So if he loses to Holloway it's not as much of a setback. He loses it to like the number 10 guy or the number 11 or 12 guy. He might as, he might as well just erase himself from contention. So it's a Holloway's hot right now. Holloway's trying to get back to a title shot. Holloway needs names on his resume. It, it's a good, it's a good career move. It's a good paying fight. It's a high profile fight. And even though I, I still think Holloway should move up and wait, I feel like that weight cut is going to get to him against elite guys, against guys like uh, Calvin Cater and, and guys who are a little bit lower, he's still going to outclass them. He's got too much experience, too much skill, too much uh, world-class ability. But as that gap in ability and skill closes, you'll start seeing seeing a, some inconsistency in his performance. So I personally would like him to move up. But if, I, if I'm the Korean Zombie, this is an excellent fight to pick. It, it'll be competitive. He'll probably lose by decision. He won't be submitted. He won't take tremendous punishment because Max isn't a punishing fighter. So it's good. It's a good fight, win or lose. If he if he's competitive and loses, people people say he still has it. If he beats Max Holloway, now he's considered the guy in the division, and it's a, it's a new challenger for uh, Volkanovski or for Ortega, whoever wins that fight. What who, what would be your first pick out of that though? I, I think that the Max Holloway fight is a very tough fight for a Korean Zombie, especially from a volume standpoint. What would you pick? Or who would you lean towards if you saw that that fight was booked tomorrow? I would still favor Max Holloway, uh, his pace, uh, his striking versatility, and uh, physicality is still there. Uh, Korean Zombie has never been the greatest defensive fighter. Um, when, when he's been forced to fight at high paces and he hasn't been able to dominate guys, you see p- spots where he gets tired, he gets a little sloppy offensively and gets countered, gets lazy defensively, gets kind of hit. So I, I think he, you could beat him on pace and physicality. But to be, to be fair, Max's durability and his physicality isn't what he used to be. It's like when he fought Volkanovski in that second fight. He had he made an adjustment between fights, but once Volkanovski adjusted in the second fight, Max didn't have an answer for a technical answer. 
he's not good at adjusting in between rounds and in the context of a fight. If what he's doing is not working, he's not very good at switching it up. But usually what he's doing is enough. What he does is if it's not working, he ramps it up, takes more punishment, throws more strikes, stays in your face, and breaks you down with technique, volume, and physicality. I don't think he has that gear in him anymore unless he's able to dominate you. In a tight fight, I don't believe that he can turn it up for two rounds without exposing himself to possibly being finished. So while I favor Max Holloway, um, I, I think Kareem Zabi has a chance to win the fight from first round to last round. Interesting there. Um, that's that's a really intriguing fight to me on, on paper uh, because it's, it's one of those fights I had never really thought about before. And now we're at a position where we might actually see it and, and there's viability, there's reasoning to make that fight, uh, especially from like a co-main event standpoint or it could be a... a main car fight as well. That's something that interests me, and I wonder, I don't, I mean, I doubt we'll see it just because the fights that matter, we, we tend to not see in the UFC right now, but um, we'll see. It's, 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 it's at least an interesting fight where you could m- make a justification for zombie winning. I mean, Yair Rodriguez versus Max Holloway, Calvin Cater, did anybody think Cater was going to win that fight? I didn't think Cater was going to win that fight. You know, there's very few matchups that are either good enough to make people excited or new matchups. Max has already fought Ortega. He's already fought Volkanovski twice. He needs a new fight with somebody he hasn't faced, but also a guy who's good enough to help push him back into the title contention. Who else in the division matches that right now? Yeah, I mean, I think the only name you have is um, Korean Zombie. And it's important that he's coming off a win. Uh, What else from this card stood out to you? Was there anything else that kind of caught your eye? Or was there any other action that really stood out to you from last Saturday? Uh, I mean, it just wasn't really a, the greatest card ever. Um, I guess if you want to, if you want to look at it, the uh, the loss with a uh, Conico to uh, John Deroba by injury that was that was considered an upset. Um, that was a good fight. Yeah, you you saw some you saw some chinks in the armor of a uh, Conico. She's athletic. She's a good striker. But I think John Deroba aggression and her willingness to just come out firing and push the pace kind of caught her off guard. I think she felt she'd be more defensive and fearful of her wrestling and fearful of athleticism. And John Deroba just came out taking chances on the feet. She was willing to engage heavily in exchanges, willing to counter freely, willing to lead freely and take any opportunity she had on the ground to search for a submission or to attack. She was on the attack the whole time. Um, and even though Conoco didn't quit, she showed great heart. She showed she showed toughness. And I feel that if she wouldn't have got injured, she would have slowly ground her down. Because I don't think I don't think Jandaroba can fight at that pace with a much better athlete, much stronger athlete like that. The fact of the matter is, she clearly lost that first round, and she got injured. Whether whether it was an accident, freak accident or not, the fact is, she got injured in the context of a fight. So it's a verifiable, legitimate win for Jandaroba, and it's a big win because. She had been very inconsistent, and she had tended to lose to, once again, the better athletes and more established fighters. So it went over somebody with Conoco's resume and background is is fairly impressive. And this is, this is probably going to force her to probably take a, get her the opportunity to fight a much better opportunity. Coming off the, the Mackenzie Dern loss, this is a very big win. It's, I mean, this, is, this win is probably better than almost any win Mackenzie Dern has as far as the quality of competition. So this instantly puts her back in pole position to move up and maybe challenge, you know, two or three fights from now. But now eyes are definitely on her. Yeah, I definitely think at some point she's going to end up running back that fight with Mackenzie Dern because it was close. Um, I could see a situation happening where those two women 
get back in a, into a position. But I think Mackenzie Dern is maybe one fight away from the title. But yep. um, uh, Jean is not that far behind her. Can I ask you a question? Go ahead. The John Jaroba, the fight with Conico and Dern before the fight, I said it was gonna it, it was gonna be similar to the Dern fight is because I felt John Jaroba would really, really look for those exchanges early in the aggression. And um, I mean, do you, do you feel that Conico got too was too willing to exchange? You think she should have maybe tried to grind her out a little more, get on the inside and control her instead of just exchanging back and forth? Because I, I didn't expect her to exchange on the feet like that. Being such a good wrestler. I felt she could take her down at will, and she seemed like she was willing. Either she was caught off guard, or she just decided she was going to exchange with her. Not, I was kind of surprised by that. That to me, that was kind of unnecessary. It's good to John Drogi. She's there for the pressure, huh? I think she was worried about the grappling. That's why she wanted to. That's why she was willing to exchange on her feet. But I mean, because look what happened when she started grappling with her. She, I mean, yeah, you're a strong wrestler, and you can hold positions on the mat. But I think she was really worried about her grappling and we see how it played out. Yeah. I, I just, I always, I always feel like even if you're not like just straight up taking someone down as a wrestler, you have the option of, you know, instead of saying you can just time up against the cage, you can clinch with them, you can hold them, you can find rest spots, or maybe you can get to a better position off the cage where you can get a takedown and you're kind of clearing the spot where they want to get a submission in. Like you can, you can like, how can I put it best? You're not taking them down and falling right into a guard or right into a position where they can scramble for a submission. You can kind of clear that and kind of control them and win on control and just chip away at them. It just seemed like, I don't know, I just I wasn't very comfortable with her exchanging like that. I, I would not have wanted that fight for her like that. What's interesting to me is that Mackenzie Dern's the same way. Um, John Jarobo's like that. I'm trying to think of um, the guy, Paul Craig, is the same way as well, too. Yeah. They have active guards where they're constantly attacking off of their back. You see too many people claiming jujitsu and they just they get on their back and they hold you there, hoping that the ref stands you up or hoping that you don't do a lot of damage from that position. But the elite grapplers, the Ryan, the Ryan Halls, the Mackenzie Durns, the Paul Craig's, um, the Charles Oliveras, they're using that position to create openings to create attacks. That's why their guards are so much more effective than. 90% of the UFC roster right now. You see too many people grabbing on and holding on and holding on for dear life. Even if you push them up against the cage, John Jaroba pulled guard off of the cage. So that's not for someone who's going to be active off of their back and active, active out of their guard, being able to hold them up against the cage isn't going to be enough anymore. And, and, and I don't know, it, we're not at a point where we're going to see a, cycle of that happening um i don't think there's enough people who are really training who are really training jujitsu enough at a high enough level to be able to effectively attack off of their back but there are some individuals that you don't want to play with and john joe was one of them she's one yeah, of them. I just, it just i guess the biggest thing i had was like it, i understand as a fighter every matchup has variations but if, you, if this is one of your skills then you you have to tailor it to be in it you have to tailor it or you have to be training t- to a degree to handle that because if one of your biggest skills is transitioning from striking to wrestling and now you're afraid to wrestle well i mean there's a reason why you use your striking to set up your wrestling and you just don't stand stand back and pick people apart on the feet because you're not good enough so once you decide you're just going to abandon that now it's a matter of who's willing to bite down and take more punishment or lead the exchanges more clearly john jaroba was fairly had no fear of it because she's not afraid of being taken down she's not afraid of getting dropped she's not afraid of getting clinched up against the fence so Conoco saying, well, I'm not going to wrestle. 
you don't have a choice. I mean, you, you have to go with what you've done. You're not good enough at this other aspect to lean heavily on it. You have to do what you what brought you to the game. And you have to be prepared prior to facing this kind of opponent. And I, I would have figured in Japan she would have faced at least comparable enough submission wrestlers to where she'd be a li- have a little bit better game plan. That's what I would have thought. True, true. Well, is there anything else that stood out from this card before we move on to the Saturday's um, event? Uh, not on this card, not not tremendously, to be honest. It was like we talked about a couple weeks ago. It's they're fulfilling contractual obligations until they get the UFC pay per views, and then they load it up, and then we get two really important fights, maybe three or four good fights, and a card full of people we don't know who are probably two or three fights away from us caring about them. So then speaking about caring about people, that kind of brings me to Saturday's main event where we have Alexander Volkov fighting Cyril Gaon in a heavyweight main event. And this is actually a heavyweight main event I can get behind. I usually despise the idea of, of, of heavyweights being in a main and co-main event because they almost never deliver. Yeah, Everyone thinks they're going to get some nasty highlight reel knockout like everyone's Francis Ngannou or something like that. It's not going to happen. But this is a technical fight that I am kind of interested in seeing because you have two big guys who can control range, control pacing, and they use combinations well. I would say Volkov is the more aggressive of the two. Um, Guy is more of a counter striker. So I'm wondering how that's going to play out. But this is a more of a chess match type of fight that I'm looking forward to watching. And that's rare, man, because I am usually the last person to want to see any heavyweights do anything. Um, and even in even pro wrestling, I don't like the heavyweights there either. So I'm interested. I'm really interested in this fight from a technical standpoint. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like, like you said, um, you got both guys are in good shape. Both guys are fairly mobile. Like they don't just stand in front of each other. They move around. They find it fight at a pretty high pace. They're pretty good athletes. So you're you're almost guaranteed a certain amount of exchanges on the feet. Probably going to have some wrestling exchanges, um, positional exchanges. You should it should be more reflective of an actual mixed martial arts fight where a lot of M- heavyweight MMA is basically two guys who box a little bit and wrestle. And it's very slow paced and it could be super dynamic, but it's it's either super dynamic or it's just a slog. It's one or the other. It's never an in-between. This should be more representative of a mixed martial arts fight. And it probably look like a fight, you know, like a welterweight fight as far as the activity and the range of skills they're going to be showing. Um, I would like to think that Volkanovsky's, uh, his, uh, excuse me, Volkov, his experience would be a determining factor, but he he's, like I said, he's been in a lot of wars. He, he leans on his volume a lot, but he's always, he hasn't always been defensively sound. I mean, even when he fought, um, who was that? Who was the, the football player? Uh, Greg Hardy. Even when he fought Greg Hardy, Greg Hardy, just based off athleticism and aggression, have moments of success against him just because he's a big, strong, powerful, explosive person. Cyril Gandhi isn't as good an athlete as Greg Hardy is. I don't care what people tell me. There's a difference between the best heavyweight athlete and the worst heavyweight athlete in a, in a football field, and it's not close. Mm-hmm. Um, very good athlete. He's an explosive striker. He's shown he, he's willing to grapple. He's willing to box. He's willing to kickbox. He's willing to lead aggressively counter. And I think that athleticism will be the determining factor. Um, the way Volk, Vol, Volkov fights guarantees a certain amount of punishment he's going to take. And he's lost fights because of his inability to control where the fight's taking place and his inability to take punishment. 
here's a guy who's got the athleticism to take him down left and right, get up if taken down, and has the power and dyna- dynamic striking ability where he can put him out with any one shot. And he's 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 probably, I mean, Volkov's a pretty good kickboxer, but I'll, I'll say Gane is a little bit better. So um, I, I'm going to favor Gane in it. I think his mobility, his athleticism, and his power is going to be the determining factor. Um, if if he gets too gun shy, if that pressure from Volkov gets to him too much and he can't scare him off with the power, then the fight's going to turn. It's all determined on how explosive and dynamic he can make his striking. If he, if he can punish Volkov, you can get Volkov out of there. More than one person has. But you have to be willing to counter aggressively and counter heavily. So if he's just going to move around and give ground and, and pot shot, that's not going to get it done. He's going to have to stand his ground and actually fire off hard, hard counters. And unlike fighting a junior um, a junior DeSantos and some of the other guys he's fought, Volkov's an established, experienced, fairly rugged guy. You're not just going to scare him off. You're going to have to put something on him. And Cyril's capable of doing it, but he's he's going to have to. You're not going to scare him off. You're going to have to really fight him. He's not going to give you a win. You're going to have to beat him. But I think Cyril's on an uphill climb, and um, I, I'm going to say that he gets it done. Um, but I, I have to respect Volkov's experience and his grittiness. He, he tends to walk guys down who, who aren't really who they say they are. But I, I think Cyril's exactly who we think he is. So has he ever shown power? He's shown a lot of technique. He's shown good grappling, but has he ever shown that one shot, I'll put you down power? I, I don't really think so. Not against anybody good. He's always been a volume guy. That's that's what's enabled him to be so successful. Even when guys take him down, he's scrambling, looking for submissions. He's con- He'll fight you in every range. He'll engage you in every range. He'll work at a high work rate at every range. That's how he, he – That's if he ever has landed a knockout shot, it's because he's placed at such a pace. But when you – as active as he is, you don't – you can't have that kind of power. Guys with no, huge knockout power don't have to throw 50-something punches a, around. I mean, Derek Lewis has to throw like five, and one of those is going to knock you out if it lands clean. Francis Ngannou has to throw like six, and one of those will knock you out if it lands clean. When you have real power, you never get to throw in volume because nobody can stand up to your power long enough. You throw volume to make up for the lack of dynamic one-strike power you have. And I, I've never seen Volkov really wreck anybody who who wasn't already – compromise or wasn't was an elite type heavyweight maybe like a second or third tier maybe third tier guy fourth tier guy yeah but again second tier even greg hardy greg he beat greg hardy off of exhaustion even when he was fighting i think it was walt harris walt harris just beat him but he he was gas at no point was volkov just touching him and he was going to sleep he, he never had that kind of power so he'll give you opportunities to win if you can mentally stay in the fight and kind of create a little bit of space with your movement and your feints He'll give you opportunities because he's just going to keep on coming at you. And guys who push pace tend to, at some point, tire and tend to expose themselves in bad spots, and they rely on their pace and their activity to get them out of trouble. So the last question I asked about these two before we move on is, is there anything either man can do to become a a, a number one contender after this fight? And if not, what needs to happen before either one of these guys can get a title shot? Because they're close. But when we talk about the heavyweight title, we talk about John Jones and Derek Lewis, and that's it. Um, I think Gane has a chance. If he wins, they clearly UFC likes him. They're moving. They're keeping him very busy. He went. He fought. Rose, he fought DeSantos. Went straight to Rosenstruck, and now he's going to Volkov. Clearly, they have it. 
aspirations of having him potentially be a contender. He's got a background. He I don't know if he currently trains with Francis, but I know at one point he used to. He's won a lot of his fights fairly either dominating completely or just finishing guys. He's a good-looking guy. He's got he's got a superhero fighter kind of build. He wins in exciting fashion. He's athletic. He's from a different country. He's kind of got the mysterious vibe on there. It's clearly they're moving him in a path to challenge for a title fight. Volkov, on the other hand, uh, he's got a lot of work to do. And I don't know who he – this beating Gagne would help, but he probably needed at least two more wins to be a legitimate consideration for a title fight. If I was him, I'd be trying to see if I could get a fight with John Jones myself. Like, okay, the UFC is not going to pay you to fight in Ganu. If you're not going to sit out, then, then fight me. And that would be a safe fight for him because he's got a high work rate. He's physical, but he's not a dynamic striker. He's not a dynamic grappler. He's not a dynamic wrestler. He's more of a uh, activity, volume, aggression, durable type fighter. Not saying he's not technical, but nobody's seen, I've never seen a fight and said, oh, man, look at this. this. is the second coming of Israel Adesanya. This is Jose Aldo at heavyweight. I've never said that. He's gotten by on, on those physical tools and those intangibles. And that would be a safe matchup for John Jones. But um, – Neither one of these guys is leapfrogging and Lewis. And um, if Jones if Jones out, out, out uh, prices himself, then it won't matter. He won't be a compensation. But neither one of those – the Gagne fight has some interest. The Volkov fight, I mean, it'll just be another heavyweight fight. Nobody's expecting him to win, and nobody would really be excited about it either. And it's interesting looking at the rankings right now. You have Stipe at one. Derek Lewis at two, Gagne at three, Curtis Blades at four, and Volkov at five. Didn't Curtis Blades just lose? Uh, if I recall correctly, yes. Lost to yeah. uh, Rosenstruck, right? Or was that Walt Harris? No, that was Walt Harris that lost. Yeah, uh, Curtis Blades, when has he fought last? Was that fighting against Derek Lewis's last fight? Yep, yeah, there you go. There you go. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what they're going to do with I, I I hate the heavyweight division. So, no, Curtis Blaze is fighting Rosenstruck in September. Yep. But his last fight was that loss to Derrick Lewis. That I was mean, right. even if even Rosenstruck wins that fight, Gane would still be ahead of him because Gane beat him like three or four months ago. So we'll see how that really kind of plays out. Um, what else from this showcase stands out to you? Um, it would be interesting to see Ovin St. Prue moving up at heavyweight again. Just because, um, you know, I feel like I know he doesn't want to move to heavyweight permanently. I just don't know what the point of being a light heavyweight does it anymore. I would figure even at this stage, making that weight has got to be tough. And he's faced everybody else, and it's all up-and-comers in there now. I mean, it's all guys, guys who are new. I mean, it's like every loss he has is tremendous to his career because these guys aren't as established. I, I don't see the point of being light heavyweight. I don't know that he ever challenges for the title again. So I don't know the point of him staying in that division. Then again, even at heavyweight, at heavyweight, I don't know that he has a ch- chance to really challenge for the title. So I kind of feel like he's in a no man's land, and he's just fighting to kind of stay around and to see if any opportunities open up, and he'll bounce between whatever weight class there is to see what opportunities are for him. Uh, that and uh, the Andre Philly fight. Interesting to see how uh, Andre Philly looks in his next fight. I'm kind of curious about that. And, and I mean, like I said, a lot of these fights, they're good fights. But they're not necessarily fights that are going to change the direction of any division. You got guys who are established and accomplished, but nobody who's near world title fight. So even if it's a great fight, fight of the night, it's not determining the next contender. It's not determining the next top 
five guy or probably even the, the next top 10 guy. It's just a bunch of good, strong fighters engaging in fights, trying to get themselves back on track to make some headway into potentially becoming contenders. Nobody in there is within three fights of a, of a contending spot right now. True. True. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in seeing how this fight is going to go down. I think it's going to be a, a technical fight, if nothing else. Um, let's hit on topic number three, just some other combat sports stuff. Um, I want to talk about boxing first, man, because Anderson Silva got a big, 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 big win on Saturday. Talk to me about the significance of this win. Then I want to ask some additional questions from there. Uh, it's, I mean, when they first announced this fight, I, I told people Anderson was going to be a handful for Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Um, I was actually talking to King Mo before, and I was like, so Anderson's going to whoop up on your boy. And he's like, there's no way Anderson wins this. Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., he has, he's never been the most professional fighter. He's come out of weight. He's never been super dedicated to, the, to boxing. But the fact of the matter is he's got 60-plus fights. He won a legitimate world title over a legitimate fighter, and he defended the title. You can say he defended it against some guys who weren't top shelf, but the fact that he went 12 rounds with Canelo, which a lot of guys haven't, he was competitive for the first half of the fight against Danny Jacobs. He was going blow for blow. He almost beat Sergio uh, Martinez. I mean, he was like 30 seconds away from beating him. He's been in some big fights. He's faced world-class opposition. In general, Anderson Silva at his age should not be able to beat Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. But the thing is, as I said, he's never been the most dedicated. He's never been the hungriest. He's never pushed himself to be in the best shape so he can fight his best fight. And that was exposed in this fight against Anderson. Anderson just boxed him. He jabbed. He moved around. The, he moved around. I almost said the cage. Moved around the ring. He fainted. He attacked the body. He changed levels. And he countered him. And Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. wasn't in good enough shape to push a pace. Because his thing is... Pushing a pace, getting on the inside, and punishing to the body. He was boxing at range with Anderson Silva. Julio Cesar Chavez has never outboxed anybody a day in his life. And his, when, once I saw him doing that, I realized he didn't come to win, and this was going to be an easy night for Anderson Silva. It was not even a closely contested fight. Anderson outclassed that man in his own sport. And uh, his father would, and Julio Cesar Chavez's junior, his son, his father was fairly disgusted with that performance. And uh, a lot of boxers and boxing trainers were fairly disgusted with what he did. They weren't surprised, but they thought he'd have at least enough pride to go out there and defend himself and defend the honor of boxing against a guy who's 46-47 and had never really professionally boxed at any sort of competitive level. Man, their father wants them both to retire. He said, if they're not going to take it seriously, they both need to go sit down somewhere. Um, what what I see a lot of people talking about that stands out to me is that they're talking about Anderson's win as almost like a this is his proper retirement, and the way he went out of the UFC wasn't quite right. Do you feel like do you feel like this is it for him? This is his proper retirement. Or do you think you, we're going to see him fight again? I mean, you might. I mean, there there's going to be there'll be big money opportunities moving forward, and he's never really had a bad performance in the UFC. He's never really looked truly just outclassed even in the later stages of a career. So I feel like Dana could have handled anything he had with Anderson a little bit better. There was no need for those derogatory comments. And this win over Julio Cesar Chavez, even though Chavez is a flawed boxer, it's probably one of the biggest wins in Anderson Silva's combat sports career. And it, it's pretty much going to cement him 
as a legend in combat sports, not just mixed martial arts, but combat sports. Because very few boxers can say they could beat any sort of retired boxer, much less a former world champion who fought the best of the best for a period of one to three, one to two years. It, this is quite the feather in his cap. I don't care what anybody says about it. Do you think he? Do you think he fights again? Um, it's interesting. I saw someone say he should fight Jake Paul or something like that because they have similar records. I would watch it. I'm not even gonna bullshit. I would watch that. But do you think that's something that we could see happening down the line? If I was gonna, if I was him, only people I consider fighting is Mike Tyson or Roy Jones Jr. Because I don't think Anderson has any interest in fighting. Guy, and I, I respect the fact that Logan and Jake, especially Jake, work very hard at this. Those guys are good, decent, for their level boxers. But I think Anderson likes a true challenge. And even though Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. isn't an elite guy anymore, or and wasn't a truly elite at his peak, he was still a legitimate, accomplished, successful boxer that he beat him. I don't think he wants to take a guy who doesn't have a judgment. If it's not Mike Tyson or it is not Roy Jones Jr., I don't think he picks up his phone. One of those two, yes. I believe he would fight one of those two. Um, anybody else? I guess maybe Oscar De La Hoya, maybe. But I think Oscar wouldn't be – I don't think Oscar would be really big for that. That would be kind of – and if you fight for Oscar. But outside of that, if it's not Roy Jones or Mike Tyson, I don't, I don't even entertain it. There's no need to. This is one of the biggest wins of his career. He's getting publicity from boxers and getting publicity – I mean, Canelo came up and hugged him in the ring. And MMA guys are supporting this huge win he's had for MMA. Why besmirch that unless it's for a huge payday against an established, truly elite at, for his time? Fighting Roy Jones Jr., anybody else? I'm not even answering the phone for. Okay, so who's the next? Other than Tyron Woodley, we already got that fight booked. Who's the next guy who steps over in, in, into the world of um, fighting? I really, don't, I really don't know because if Tyrone Woodley loses, I fully expect Jake Paul to call out Floyd Mayweather. I really do. Because after that dust up they had, I feel like there's a storyline they could use to sell that. He, Mayweather already beat the younger brother, older brother. Now he's fighting the younger brother who's undefeated, who's beaten two former world champions. Not world champion boxers, but still world champions. Um, that, would be, that, would be the only, that would be the biggest thing. I don't know what MMA fighter is in a position contractually where they can do it. Mm-hmm. I know Vitor Belfort is going to fight Oscar De La Hoya. I heard about that. So, uh, and I know I, at one point I heard Anthony Pettis might fight him too. So, I mean, there will still be opportunities for that, but I, I don't, it, as far as UFC fighters, their contract won't allow them to. So there's no opportunity there. Um, I'm not quite sure. I don't know what Bellator fighter would have enough cachet or what retired fighter that I know of right now would have enough cachet to make it worth it. Maybe Michael Bisping. But I can't imagine he gets cleared for a fight. He so, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know who. I, I have no idea who the next guy would be. But um, whoever it is, I, I hope they get paid. Like you said, if these guys don't get paid enough. And if boxing is going to be the sport that allows you to make your money, go and get it. Don't, don't fall into the MMA versus boxing thing. That's not worth it. Get paid whichever way you can. Who cares about the if you if you're in later, later stages of your career? Who cares about what sports tougher? What's a real fight? We don't care about that. Your kid, like Floyd Mayweather says, my kids can't live off legacy. My kids can't live off a good feeling. They can only live off the money that I earned. Go get the biggest paycheck you can. And and thank whoever it is who created this opportunity for you to get these paychecks for these these fights that 
that really aren't in your discipline. Who cares if you get embarrassed? I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, you get embarrassed, but you can provide for your kids. Who cares? You know, I mean, a lot of people do embarrassing jobs so their kids can go to college and have things. If they're going to embarrass me for $2.5 million and I get knocked down, they make a bunch of memes. Yeah, it's going to suck. Probably make me sad. But my kids can do a lot with $2.5 million. Probably spend it in a week. Nothing productive. But they can do a lot with it. Yeah, I can definitely hear you on that there, man. Um, what else? Uh, talk to me about what else occurred in boxing this past weekend. There was a lot of a lot of different fights across the board. Um, recently, I mean, there was a there was a lot. I mean, I I focus a lot on the uh, on the the Anderson Silva fight, but uh, they had a uh, Beck the bully. He fought Gabriel Rosado. They had an up and coming fighter. Um, I can't say his name. I am not good at those names, but he goes by Beck the bully. He was undefeated. Had a lot of hype behind him. They were giving him the veteran step up against Gabriel Rosado, a guy who's fought one of the Charlos, fought Jaylion J- Love, fought Golovkin, fought Danny Jacobs. He's been a guy who's more of a, uh, they would call him a journeyman because he's probably won as, lost as much as he's won and he's lost against the best guys he's faced. And so this is a step up to see how you handle a seasoned, grizzled, experienced fighter. And uh, they had to bully him. And in the third round, Rosado timed him. And put him out, one shot, overhand, counter right. Guy fell flat on his face. Fight was over. Rosado had one of the biggest wins of his career, late in his career. And he's probably going, if he doesn't get a title, he'll probably, he can probably get this into a title shot with the right titleist because he has a name. He was in Creed 1. He's a name. He's a good-looking guy. He's very well-spoken. He's all over social media. He can probably leverage this into a title shot. And if he can't leverage it directly in title shot, he can face a name and be one fight away from a title shot. But either way, this was a huge injection in the veins of his career. And in one shot, he turned his whole career around. He, he's brought in as the opponent to gauge how well a fighter is or where a fighter's at. He took full advantage of the opportunity. And now he's probably going to be either one step from a title fight or he will probably be given a title fight because he comes with a name. He comes with a fan, some fanfare and he can probably generate some ticket sales and some interest depending on who he's fighting. So one punch, he turned his whole career around, and now he's going to be probably contending. Uh, they had Charlo versus Montiel. That was a good fight, kind of paint by the numbers. Charlo didn't look real sharp, but that was because he did one of those hometown fights where they had the fight in the hometown. It's a big celebration. You give some kind of publicity to the other fighters in the area, other gyms in the area, and, and let, the kind of, let the city kind of feed off your celebrity a little bit. Generally, in those kind of fights, fighters – either get upset or they don't look nearly as good because when you're at home, people have access to you. People want to get in contact about tickets and opportunities and speaking here and advertising this. You get you you get pulled in a lot of directions. It's very hard for you to lock in and do what you need to do at the highest level. And I think this was an example of it. Montiel is a good fighter, fairly well school fighter, but he's limited. And I, I feel like Charlo, Charlo could have been, looked a little bit better. He looked dominant, but he could have looked a little bit better. I think he could have got a finish had he been a little sharper. And I and I put that on uh, put that on the fact that it was a homecoming fight. He was probably just getting a lot of media, a lot of coverage, and doing so much more outside of the work he was doing, which I think kind of hindered him a little bit. But uh, let's see. The last thing we have um, this weekend, Javonta Davis is moving up two weight classes to challenge for not necessarily a legitimate world title, but a secondary world title, where he fights uh, Mario Barros. And um, it should be a good fight. Uh, the, the weird thing that's been happening, because at one point we were talking about Davis, Haney, and Tia Lopez all mm-hmm. fighting, you know, 130, 135. 
But the fact of the matter is all those guys, I think, are never going to fight each other class. I think they're going to move up to next weight class. I don't think they're going to cut the weight anymore. They're going to start looking for bigger opportunities at higher weights because their bodies can't stand to be cut down to those weight classes anymore. And Gervonta is the first one to make the leap. Uh, his opponent is a durable guy. He's a very disciplined fighter. He's trained by Virgil Hunter, who trained us, who trained uh, Andre Ward. So, you know, mentally he's very strong and he's cerebral in his approach. When you see these guys fight, you will notice a noticeable height and size difference. So for the first time in his career, I don't think Gervonta Davis is just going to be able to walk through a guy. In other fights, he's been able to let guys get off a little bit, and he's got that one-punch power that can turn a fight around. He's, against this guy, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think he's going to have to actually be much more responsible as a boxer, be much busier as a puncher, and have to pay a little bit more attention to defense because when you're moving up those, those weight classes, you don't know that the power is going to carry. And I'm not saying his power won't carry at all, but I don't see any situation where he's just one shot landing on a guy and the guy just it lights it out. I, I don't see that. Not with this guy. This guy is very tough. He's very big. He's very rugged. He's very he's not super technical like a Floyd Mayweather level or Canelo level, but he's a craftsman. He's very good at what he does. He's very disciplined. He's very consistent. He's very sharp. So Gervonta's the better talent. He's got the more accomplishments. He's a, a truly, at some levels, elite, world-class fighter. But he's going to have to be on his job, and he's probably going to get pushed harder than he's been pushed before because he will not have that strength and size advantage that he usually has going into fights. I would favor him to win just because he's so good in his, his coaching and the environment he's in. But at best, this is like 60-40, 50-50, just off the size and the fact he's facing a young hungry guy who was not going to go away just because he takes a couple of hard shots. This guy can change his whole life around if he beats Davis. He doesn't have the money. He doesn't have the opportunity. He doesn't have the cachet. A fight like this changes his whole career. Hell, even if it's just an exciting fight where he gives Davis hell and he loses, his whole career still changes. So he can't afford to go out there and get knocked down in the first round. He can't afford to just get dominated. He has to go out there looking to fight and looking to dominate. And if he doesn't get frozen by the, the big lights and the big stage and he comes out to do what he can do, Davis is in for a long night. I still favor Davis because I have to go with the talent. I have to go with the pedigree. But this this is a very risky fight. I, I commend him for moving up two weight classes. As a guy who gets by on low-volume punching, th this is going to be a fight where we're going to find out a lot about who he is as a fighter. Interesting. Interesting. Good stuff there, sir. Um, last thing I wanted to talk about, you talk about big favorites. Uh, Kayla Harrison is fighting Sydney Dandois on... Saturday. How do you see this fight going? How long do you see it lasting? Is this going to be another steam rolling by Kayla, or or does Danois have the ability on the feet to kind of play it out there a little bit longer? I don't think Danois is like one of the worst strikers I've ever seen. She just seems so awkward. Like she punches awkward when she gets hit. She just she's like a half beat off and reacting. It's it's she's been historically bad. Where her strength has been has been grappling. That's been her strength and um. I don't know that that strength exists against Kayla. Kayla is such a bit, much better athlete. I've never known Dandois as being one of those dynamic guard type transition type submission people. So it it seems for all purposes, this is going to be yet another showcase fight for Kayla Harrison. I guess anything could happen because I see holes in Harrison's game. She's never had to really work to win a fight. She's never had somebody push back against her. I just don't know that Cindy Dandois is the kind of fighter who has the skill set or the physical tools to push back when she gets put into a bad position or to react appropriately when she gets hurt on the feet. She's just never shown that. 
So unless she's taken a huge leap in the past year that I don't know about, uh, this fight should be a fairly pain by the numbers Kayla Harrison win. I mean, I guess always chance it could be a submission or a knockout, but um, if she lost, it'd be it's tell me more about it would tell me more about Kayla Harrison than it would tell me about Cindy Dandewall. And if she lost to Dandewall by any sort of stoppage, much less a decision, I don't care how many wins she's got, I'm throwing all that in the trash because that would be a terrible, terrible loss. Like it's it'd be like, well, she won. I don't care. Those don't count. Throw all that out. Doesn't matter. Throw it out. Don't care. It, well, it'd be, it'd be bad. That pretty much sums it up there, man. I, I don't really have too much to say after after that. I mean, I always like to kind of see what Kayla looks like as she advances in her career. So I'll probably be keeping a close eye out on that fight this weekend. Uh, Shawan, why don't you let everybody know what you're working on this week? Um, this week I am. Well, I'm still working on the the Black Widow movie. Should be coming out in like two or three weeks. So I got to finish that well, article. Think- so I got to finish that break. You know, I'm doing a breakdown of her fighting techniques and styles. I'm doing that. I'm going to be working on a Juliana Pena fight, talking about why she's a dangerous fight for Amanda Nunes. Like, you know, everybody likes to make these articles, and they always like, oh, this person's winning and losing. I think part of the issue is being able to find past the victory and why an underdog might be more dangerous than you think they might be. Like the easy work is to say this person wins, that person wins, especially when it's fight like Nunes versus Pena. The hard work is finding an interesting angle that highlights what makes this person special and why this person could be a threat to the clearly superior fighter. And then uh, recently I released an article. for It was a past UFC event where it was the do's and don'ts for JoJo Calderwood against Lauren Murphy. And I have to say... I told I said JoJo Calderwood should not do. She did, and she lost. Much like I said, she would lose in exactly the way I broke down in the article that she would lose against Laura Murphy. That was a terrible performance, and I probably shouldn't say that because I probably get another call from her coach or I guess her fiance now because he does not like me. He says I'm very negative and I keep pointing out things, negative things, and that affects her self confidence. And I'm like, you're her coach, just fix it. I have no control of this. I only can point out what I see. You could fix this. But you haven't. And she has the same hole she had six years ago, and it's constantly bit her in the butt and cost her title fights and wins and money and standing in the UFC. And I, I just don't know why she doesn't fix it. But I wrote that article, and it was – I got a lot of retweets. People were like, man, you call this. And I'm like, I mean, I'm good at this. I don't. People don't contact me just for – just because I'm a good-looking, charming guy. That's one of the reasons. But the other reason is because I know what I'm talking about. That's a damn lie. I'm very humble. I'm very humble. Uh, I will be doing my thing pro wrestling wise as usual, and there's a lot to cover going on there. So I will be doing as much of that as I possibly can. Um, Question: what is with, all, what, with when they do big cuts with people, are they doing big cuts too? Because they feel that person no longer is is a draw to money, or are they saying this person has leveled off to the point where they don't see any way they can match them moving forward? Because sometimes I see some people like, that's a good wrestler. Why did you cut them? It's a little bit of both. Uh, some of it is <clears throat> just the bottom line. Uh, it's that's really it mainly. It's just the bottom line. Mm. Have you just? I just have to know. Have you ever seen a case where someone's cut somebody and you felt like, man, they really dropped the ball when this person gets picked up? Oh yeah, everybody. Um, majority of the people that they've been cutting since the COVID nineteen outbreak hit, they've uh. just been cutting people that they don't have on television, but it's people that could be fantastic on television, like um. Trying to think of somebody you might know, but yeah, there's plenty of names that that they've cut 
in the last year that they've just cut randomly and people are like, why are you cutting this person? Because this person can be an XYZ star. And it was like, well, bottom line. Hmm. Well, they know better than I do. It just, it just seems weird. I would think with the way things are, I know, I know you want to go with names. I know you need that big pop, that big draw. But ultimately, whether it's fighting or wrestling or a movie, what allows you, TV series allows you to sustain isn't just the stars. You have to have people to play off of them. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't, if you're a comedic guy, you have a bunch of people who can't, they can't play off of, that comedic star doesn't work. If you're a lead singer, but your group can't harmonize, that group doesn't work. If you're a fighter, you Bellator, five people at the top of the division, rest of the division's trash. That's why they can't ever break through with popularity. They don't have, have any ability to generate new interest. So you need guys who can work and guys who will work and guys who can make that guy look better to establish and maintain that star. I don't know how you, you can afford to lose those people. Mm-hmm. What point does that catch up to you? That has to catch up to you at some point. At some point it does, my friend, but we won't answer that question today. Uh, we'll be back next week, episode 210 of the MMA Ratings Podcast, but I'll be back with Shawn Hume. Shawn, I thank you, as always, for coming on the show. My mother yeah, said right. hello. She actually she was like, where's Shawn been? So she said hello this week. You know, she watches every every, every week. So, nice to uh, be there. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, where's the other guy? Um, so... I will tell her that you said hello, and I wanted to tell you that. But we'll be back here next week. And thanks, everyone, for having us in your in your ears today. So everyone have a great day, and stay safe this weekend. Yeah, everybody have a great evening.